This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, this is Lynn of Lynn and Jen. Let's talk about sex. And we've uh, been enjoying getting this program ready for you because we're Jen and I are here together and we're trying some new technical things today. So if you hear something a little different, you know, that may be part of all of that. Our subject is also different. It's about sex between uh, therapists and patients and sexual interactions and sexual feelings and sexual ideas and a whole range of different things. Yeah, I think it's an aspect that doesn't get talked about as much, even among professional trainings. And I, that's kind of something that came up for me was I was trying to think about my grad school and also, you know, just the continuing education that I was doing. And this topic really hasn't come up that much. I don't know if that was your experience in, in your schooling, which was obviously much longer ago than mine. That's a very, very kind way to put it. And I always think about that. You know, it's interesting because I'm also a psychoanalyst. So I went through a lot of training about one aspect of patient therapist uh, interaction, which is the erotized transference, where a patient would develop erotic or, or sexual or romantic or all kinds of feelings for the therapist. And in turn, the therapist might have feelings toward the patient, sometimes called the counter-eritized transference. So we got a lot of training in that, but not a lot in so many other aspects of uh, eritized and uh, sexual interactions that occur between patient and therapist. So it's actually my life and my work with my patients that's educated me about this topic. Yeah, and I think I learned a lot while working with you in terms of how this comes up, I'm really like racking my brain to try and think about when we talked about this in my training. And I think honestly, the only time was in like uh, the ethics class where they talk about boundaries and ethics of, of that. But there was no real discussion about how to use these transferences, particularly sexual transferences as part of the therapeutic process. And certainly maybe to even see them in a positive way. Right. And I think that's what I'd say, looking back on 40 plus years of therapy practice, is that often these very, uh, these strong feelings can be used in a positive way to grow the therapy, to help the therapist grow through learning how to express these things, to help the patient, the client grow and really learn how to express new feelings for them. And so it's really a point where there's a lot to learn. I mean, the other area of experience I've had with it is for 20 years, I taught a class on uh, psychotherapy um, in this venue. And we dealt with two or three lectures were about this part of it, the sexual 
aspects of therapy with patients and vice versa, even with children and adolescents. Yeah. So there's a lot that can be talked about there. And I've also supervised therapists who've been, you know, cited by the state and had grievances filed by patients and then had to work with them through this Mm. whole process. So that's a huge area for, I think, therapists to be aware of out there, that there's really a lot of, um, you see it in the papers and the journals, you see the filings of the therapists who've been cited and, you know, to be aware of how it comes about, you know, how to avoid it, how to help your patients, how to help yourself with this kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I do know that a big part of what we did talk about in terms of therapy in general, in terms of working with clients, is that this is a very intimate process because you are opening up and talking about things that you wouldn't often talk about outside of the confines of the therapeutic room. And so I think that sometimes clients can mistake that type of intimacy for a more romantic or sexualized intimacy. But I think that was the extent. We never like explored what do you do then or like how do you handle it? And I've had to kind of figure things out on my own and also consulting with colleagues and talking with you about it, obviously. I think the best thing to do, and I'm going to use a couple of my own situations, is really to get supervision. You know, this is an opportunity to talk with others, to get help from our colleagues, to be in a maybe supervisory group and focus on it. Um, Perhaps the most noteworthy um, situation I had in my own practice was that on the East Coast, a psychoanalyst named Arnold Cooper had had a struggle with a patient. She developed very strong romantic feelings toward him and was moving then to California, this patient. And he asked that I take her on, thinking because I'm a woman, she would not develop those feelings maybe as strongly, and we would work together better. About a year into our treatment, she developed almost the same reaction with me, which was she believed that I was very much in love with her, started wearing sunglasses to our sessions, and uh, again, you know, started making... Uh, comments about filing against me a grievance because I obviously, in her mind, was inflicting this love upon her through our work. From the very beginning, I'd gotten supervision on the case because I thought, I don't know if I'll ever manage this. He was kind of a senior you know, therapist to me at the time, and I wanted to do yeah. a good job. And I thought, mm, I'm not so sure this is going to go so well. So I worked with my supervisor, a man named Aubrey Metcalf, and we really tried hard, you know, to deal with it. And she did file against me. So with the uh, the board here in California, and I, I still remember those meetings. I had to go to the board, write up all my notes. Yeah. So there's a reason to keep notes, you know, go in and explain this. And then I had to work through a termination with her and find another a therapist who could work with her. And that was not easy because after these two experiences... It's obviously starting to become a pattern. Right. Not too many people were willing to take her on, but I did manage all of that. And uh, she went on and did better with the third therapist. It actually probably was better with me than it had been with Dr. Cooper. Mm -hmm. But it required the effort, you know, the community of therapists all kind of pulling together to make that 
happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, my own feelings when she was expressing the strong erotized transference were panic, <laughs> anxiety. Um, how yeah. am I going to get through this, really? Um, so I remember it very, very strongly. And I was roughly, I think, in my 40s then. Mm-hmm. And so I was still an experienced therapist, but I was struggling with day to day with her. And I kind of, you know, try to get ready for the sessions and build myself up. And it was challenging really at the end through that termination process with her. Well, I imagine so too, because not having the supervision is great. And at the same time, there's that piece where like you when it's therapy, it's just you and that person in the room. And so you take what you learn and you try to apply it, but you're also having to work through your own anxiety and your own transferred feelings, basically. And I had the feelings, you know, when she was saying, well, you are doing all this, you're, you have the strong romantic feelings, you want to go outside the therapy and we should be dating. And I, you know, it was not easy to contend with that. Yeah. Then I've supervised actually a lot of therapists, mostly men, the one woman and the woman was involved with the child. Mm. And the issue was that she was taking on too much of a parental role uh, and too emotionally involved with the child. Still kind of an erotized transference area. Yes. But with the, a lot of the men, it was younger female patients, many with uh, borderline characteristics. That's mm-hmm. how they were diagnosed. And they developed these erotized transferences with the therapist. And the therapist often didn't recognize it for a long time and didn't bring it up in supervision, didn't often I even see. have supervision. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an, that's the other piece, too, is that as a therapist, you have to recognize what is going on. What that reminds me of, I didn't actually end up working with this client, but I was telling you about how I was doing an intake with this client he was maybe a couple years older than me. And when he came in, he just had this big energy, felt very like aggressive in the room, even though like he hadn't said anything. But the way he sat down was in the middle of this two-person couch with his legs just spread out wide. And I thought it was a little strange, but I didn't kind of think that much of it. But as our session was progressing and I was doing the intake, I noticed that he was shifting around in this way that was really like drawing my attention to his crotch area. And I obviously thought that was kind of strange and I was kind of policing myself on it. But then I went through this process of questioning whether what I was noticing was just some random happenstance or if it was more of like an intentional whether conscious or unconscious on his part kind of maneuver. And it wasn't until he did it maybe three times. On the third time, he had this sort of like little smirk on his face that I was able to confirm for myself that it was happening. And you know, I was in the process of doing this intake. So I was thinking about supervision and all of that stuff. Eventually, for other reasons, we didn't end up continuing to work together. But that was definitely the first time I had ever experienced anything like that. And you also, when you're describing this situation with this young man, you were talking about why he had come to therapy and it already been cited 
for risk-taking behavior in another area entirely. Yes. Then it ends up in your office and you, you witness you're part of some of this. Right. I'm being drawn into <clears throat> it. And I think that is the question that kind of gets bounced around among the therapeutic community is when you have these types of transferences, because they do occur, do you work through them? Do you transfer them to another therapist? And in general, from what I've read, a lot of the literature right now says you should at least try and work through it. But I also wonder about, you know, there's a certain level at which our own anxiety keeps us from being able to be effective with the client. And there are no easy answers here, but I think being able to talk about some of those questions and supervision is very helpful. Yeah, I think a way to start it out with the the patients is really, and the clients we work with, is to really say, you know, there's strong feelings from both sides when we're working together in this type of setting. Right. And you're going to have feelings for me, me for you, and we need to be able to examine those as we go along. So let's try to stay open to it and maybe bring up an example, even on your own part, that maybe you were kind of positive or felt a certain way about the patient doing something or negative about another way. Right. So you start that process of really looking at the relationship between the two of you and your own feelings. Mm -hmm. And rather than going right into things like the erotized transference, I think also you produced a paper that we reviewed before we started the podcast. And it talked about in the, I'd say, 50 years ago, when we were in strongly Freudian mm-hmm. psychoanalytic approach, working through the erotized transference was even considered a primary part of the therapy. Right. And not so much a byproduct of, of the interaction. Now, I think it's not necessarily the entire focus of the work. Right. You know, it's shifted, really. So that's an important change, but you've still got to be able to talk about it and to not make the client feel badly about it and to not have the work so negatively affected either way by over-talking it or under-talking it and not recognizing it. So I think it's a skill. It's really how do we talk about sexual feelings in that context? It's, It's tough. It is tough. I think it helps me to to think about it in in terms of often it's playing out another pattern. It's a reenactment. So it's really not just about what is happening here between you and this person, but where it's taking them, where it's coming from in your client. And I think being able to explore that and make the connections is one way to work with it because most likely they will go and reenact this with another person as happened with, you know, the the client you had who came from the East Coast and then came to you and then that you eventually transferred out. But you can see even like with each transfer, it seemed like she was working through some pieces of it at least because it became, it, it shifted over time. Right. And with that woman, what we were working on, it was very important to her. She had not felt loved by her mother in a kind of consistent way. And it was very important that the therapist love her, but set appropriate boundaries. So that's what Dr. Cooper had started the work with, and then I was trying to continue. Yeah. And obviously, we I've disguised her sure. in this, this interview here, but 
um, it's important, I think, to be aware of that process, that we did have therapeutic goals, and I tried to focus us on us on we're working to figure that out, right. even though this other thing is now coming this up. This piece is coming exactly, through. Exactly. Yeah. But it was extremely challenging. The other thing I found challenging, and just to say it up front, Jen, I mean, a lot of my work has been with therapists who have been found to abuse um, yeah. their patients sexually. And uh, there have been some well-known cases I've been involved with with respect to that question. And I found it so very challenging and sad to work in that area. It's yeah. been really one of the hardest parts of my therapeutic work. Um, I've seen a number of young men abused by, and children abused by their uh, uh, therapist. And that is extremely difficult. And there I have very negative oh, yeah. feelings toward the therapist who have done this. And it, it's really been very, very challenging. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, especially because when it's an abuse by a therapist, that's just kind of a, a double betrayal in the sense of, you know, any abuse is a betrayal of that trust, but having it be by somebody that you're going to to work through these things, that's just so painful. In those patterns of chronic abuse, what often happens is it is not one patient struggling with one therapist, with one filed grievance. Right. Where, you know, you've got that struggle back and forth, and maybe the therapist has been in supervision. All those things protect us as therapists. But what I have seen in those other cases is I actually have seen, I had patients where two or three children have come to me and have been abused by the same therapist and repeated the same pattern. Yeah. And that is incredibly upsetting. And yeah. obviously it's illegal and a whole range and it's immoral. It's immoral, yeah. But um, it's been extremely difficult to deal with those settings. And some have been very public and they're in the press. But um, just how to work with them on a personal level and help children recover from therapist abuse and feel safe and uh, and help young therapists not even go close to anything that would parallel that i mean i think it comes down to really the boundaries then become even more important you know boundaries are always important but for the therapist to be aware of their own boundaries in that situation is extra important that so much extra meaning is given to certain things certain behaviors certain gestures things like that and that's why I think we need to be in therapy, uh, you know, as therapists, yeah. um, you know, at least intermittently, but a lot at the beginning of our experience, because we get a lot of help through that and knowing our own feelings, our own sexual feelings, because they are parts of what comes up in the work. Well, I think that's the thing, too, is the more I do the work, the more I see the way sexuality is so integral to who we are as people. And so, as I'm sure I've said on other podcasts, not working with someone's sexuality really is robbing them of this experience of their whole self. And so you don't need the focus of the therapy to be their sexuality, but the that it just in working with people and in people having their lives and different things coming up, 
that is a huge part of what we talk about in our therapeutic process. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thinking of just a couple experiences. Um, I went through two pregnancies as a pregnant therapist and uh, the experience of having young patients fantasize that I'd be their mother and have male patients fantasize that they had impregnated me and yeah. this was our joint child that was going through and just how you're, this is such an important subject for back and forth. I've also had uh, pregnant uh, therapists in or pregnant patients and clients in, mm -hmm. and it's similar topics, you know, a little bit different shift. Right. But the women have focused that I'm their mother and helping them through this, or maybe that I'm a gay lover and providing, you know, emotional support. So there's all kinds of different interactions that take place uh, around sexuality and therapy. And just to be very alert, you know, to them and, and try to bring it up in a non-judgmental way. And I think that's the piece is that being able to recognize that it's happening, you can then have within you more of a conscious effort to look at how you can use these components in a therapeutic way. Because I do think there's some aspect to therapy where there is a very caring, obviously, component to it. And in, in that caring, a lot of the clients are looking for healing that they didn't receive as children. And so we have to be very careful of not falling into the same kind of pattern or not getting drawn into the role that we're being pulled into. I've definitely felt situations where more when I'm working with some of my teen clients, but they're really pulling on me to be that mother figure that they don't have. And how do you handle it? What are you weighing in your own mind, Jen, when you're thinking about, let's say, of an adolescent girl, she's kind of pulling for that, she's reaching out, maybe even to touch you or be held by you? I mean, I, I bring it up. I talk about it. I mean, kind of like you do, I, I set up that we're going to be talking about these things as part of the therapeutic process. The way that I bring it up is I talk about how in, in therapy, it's kind of a place where you turn over the stones that you might not otherwise turn mm -hmm. over. And sometimes you've got kind of the bugs crawling out mm -hmm. that you don't really want to deal with, but they're there. I have these weird metaphors, but my clients seem to like them. So it works out. <laughs> um, but, but in addressing that, I think it helps normalize it for them. And it normalizes that it's uncomfortable. It normalizes that there, there is a challenge there, but also that there's a freedom there in being able to talk about these things. So if they're not making the connection, often I'll think about how to make the connection. So I'll say, you know, I'm feeling this coming from you, um, or it seems like this is happening I know you've talked about not getting this from your mom. What do you think about the possibility that, you know, you're trying to get this from me? And definitely the first time I did that, it was very, very uncomfortable for me. Um, but but I saw how much it, it shifted things to be able to talk about it. So there's sort of an opening that happens and, and it deepens the relationship, but it also creates an awareness for them about these patterns. And we were talking earlier about working through these erotized feelings and that what you describe, 
I love your analogy of the bugs kind of coming out. And, <laughs> yeah. Because deep down, we all have stuff underneath, buried stuff. Yeah. And it comes out in therapy, hopefully, and we can talk about it. So it really sets that up and it opens it up for people to talk about all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You know, in traditional analyses, people talk about feeling like they're a sexual woman, they're a sexual man, they're a sexual trans, all of this. You know, they shift and you you pull up a lot of rocks really, yeah. with a lot of different things. Yeah. So it's really important, I think, to have that available to you and those words as therapists and as clients to really be able to use. Yeah, and I think I've I found it's very helpful. I used to apologize a lot for my weird metaphors um, because growing up, I was always looked at when I described things in this way, like people would give me strange looks. And so I always, I had internalized this need to kind of apologize for them. But as I've worked more with clients and found clients whom it, it really connects with, I've stopped apologizing for it so much. I did it here. So <laughs> obviously, I, I sometimes still fall into those habits. But one really cool experience that I had with a client was that I was starting this metaphor, and she had had her own metaphor. And it was very similar to mine. And it was a moment where for her, she was just like, yes, you're a therapist who gets me. And it was so powerful because in feeling understood in that way, she was able to open up to me about a lot of different shameful um, thing, just shameful experiences that she had been hanging on to and hadn't felt able to share because she didn't feel like someone understood her. So it can be really powerful. You bring up the the shame that's hidden by that last your last clan and one of the other groups that I've worked with I've talked about in the podcast are uh, individuals who abuse others and it's not only therapists but pedophiles and a whole group of others and if you can bring up or access like sexual shame get them to talk about that many of them. Uh, have a large component of that that figures into the pedophilia. Absolutely. And so just beginning to look at what's under the rocks, those little bugs, get them to come out and get started talking about some of that is just so, so important. And that's what transforms it because the shame keeps you from being able to really even look at it. What I found really fascinating is when they ask therapists to fill out those surveys that talk about whether you have had sexual feelings for your clients, it's something like 96% of males and I think 76% of females report that they do. So it's not shameful to have those feelings, but if you are experiencing that shame in a session, you may more likely overlook any transference that is happening because it brings up those shameful feelings for you too. And I might not be quoting that exactly correct. I'll look up the actual numbers, but it's close. But it's very high, the percentage of therapists. I would wager it's really everyone, but everybody's not really aware that they have the feelings. Right. But we all have, you know, erotized or romantic or sexual feelings for all kinds of people. Yeah. You know, sitting on a bus, it can happen. And you're talking to somebody next to you, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to be aware of it as either a therapist or a client. 
going into therapy, yeah. you know, and how do you work it out? Um, with respect to working through, you brought that up earlier. I think today the thought is just being able to bring it up, talk about it freely, and kind of make it part of the process. That's more the goal than that you would spend months or years working particularly just on, on that. that. Right. Exactly. Right. And it's a different shift, really, in the way we look at it. It's still really important, but it isn't the total focus. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps the therapist, too, right? Because having to focus so intensely on that one subject that is so uncomfortable for both of you, that can really interfere with, with a flow of the therapy. Right. And the flow is really key. Even here, we've come a long way in this podcast yeah. about this. As I said, we're having a few technical difficulties today. We hope this is up to our usual high caliber, but uh, the subject's really been interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm happy that we're talking about it because the more I think about it, the more I realize I haven't actually talked that much about it. So it's nice. Thanks yeah. for bringing it up. Yeah, we'd love to hear from the listeners too. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Lynn. Come on. Let's talk about it.